I was really curious about what you love most about music. Ooh, what I love most about music. That's like asking the parents, which one is their favorite kid? <laughs> you, I know. You really, you really can't nail it down to one thing. There's so much that's so much fun. And I mean, there's so many different ways you can tackle it, obviously. I think it is a pretty grand mystery to everyone how it is you can actually make money in music and you know this podcast um but i think equivalently everyone knows that pretty much anything involved in music is so much fun oh my goodness so basically anything you can do you're down for uh yeah that's that's pretty much the case (laughs) cool this is musicians can thrive a podcast community for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry musicians audio engineers managers producers booking agents everyone across all niches welcome my name is gabrielle i'm a singer songwriter these stories are for you i hope they'll help you find new ways to thrive as a musician I found Daniel Pingree while he was on tour as a guitar player in the U.S. band for an artist named Donovan Woods. As a musician who plays several instruments, produces music, writes soundtrack music for things like content videos that businesses may publish, and co-owns a record label, Daniel's a prime example of a musician who's found a balance in juggling multiple streams of income, all while doing interesting things that revolve around music. I know that you play several instruments in a band, but you also produce music. And I listened to that record. It's awesome, by the way. So how did you get into producing music? It feels like a a very natural transition to me. I'm kind of surprised that all musicians don't have some sort of hand in music production too, um, because it doesn't really feel like a very different thing to me. Like the... The so I guess the the role of music producer people would assume is like this uh, director sort of role when you're in the studio and the music producer has the the grand design in their head and they know which pieces to fit and which part of the puzzle to make the completed music production all work. I don't know why that's not something that everyone who plays music thinks, Oh, that's cool. I, I'm going to do that. That's <laughs> just like saying you're, you're just knowing how the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. So, so in my case, it was just, you know, me and some friends were starting to piece together a recording studio and, you know, and, whatever year it was. And let's say in 2019, the only thing that you need to have a recording studio is the voice memos button on your phone. So the barrier of entry into a recording studio at all is, is so low. Like yeah. it's, it's so immensely easy to record stuff. You just start, you know, using what you have and figuring it out and building the studio and build your understanding of how all the more complicated parts work. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, instead of just being able to be on stage and play an instrument and songs that you've already recorded, 
you know how to translate that knowledge into being in the studio and play those instruments into the computer and have them sound the way that you want them to. And now you have a recording just as easily as you have a live show. Yeah. I do have to say that making recorded music is probably my favorite part other than writing. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn how to actually play guitar to a click. But once I got it, I was like, this is great. Oh yeah. And I mean, it is a, it's a, I was just talking about how similar of a feeling it is to being able to play live music. It is of course, very, very, very different than playing live music, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of it feels like it's two sides of the same coin. And if you really learn how the pieces work, knowing one can inform the other and vice versa and stuff. I definitely enjoy getting more practice and knowing how the different pieces work together. There are a lot of pieces and for as cavalier as I'm talking about how, Oh yeah, you just need to start a recording up in your phone. Like whenever you're around someone who really, really, really understands how sound works and recording works. There are moments where watching them at work in a recording studio is just as humbling as watching a, some master of an instrument play the thing on a stage. The, the people can be so good at it. It is unbelievable. I would love to see that one day. I've seen a couple people on their way to mastery working in a studio mm -hmm. just from friends or mentors that I've had who've helped me record and even their knowledge surpassed my own but they were still learning themselves so I can appreciate how it would almost feel magical to watch someone control audio once they've mastered that skill oh yeah it's amazing <laughs> well one of these days I will get there so as you got into producing the label corporate Panda Records that you're working with, did you start that as a way to enable you to produce more or how does that come into the picture? There's a core group of myself and two other guys. We're here in Nashville. Um, we have a, a recording studio and we had been working together for a while doing soundtrack sort of type work, not soundtrack from movies, not that kind of thing but it came in a lot of different ways. The most common would be like a, somebody needs a 30 second piece of music to fit with this video that they made and it's gonna go on social media. And so we would find ways to get work doing things like that. And so we were putting together a recording studio because that, that's a very direct way that you can make a living doing music is recording things like that. But obviously, in order to do that, you need to have a, a whole freaking recording studio. And we, you know, once we got to that point, we were making our own music in, in that space. And, you know, the, it just became a natural thing that like, let's put a label to this where we're recording ourselves and we were recording friends bands. And we, we decided that Corporate Panda Records was going to be the name of that endeavor. And we <laughs> slapped it right on there. And here we are. Well, that's a pretty great way to start a label, I'd say. Yeah, it felt like a very natural thing. 
That clip you just heard is one of the songs Daniels composed so people can have a music bed in their content. Pretty cool, right? So it just sort of evolved out of this almost a co-op of people that you had lending their talents for different things. Yeah, that's absolutely what it was. That's really awesome. I've definitely started noticing more musicians who are doing things like that, especially one group that I know in Austin. And I feel like it makes both producing their recorded music and then promoting it and booking live shows and promoting those. I'm hesitant to say easy, but I feel like it just facilitates it in a way that is so much faster. Am I making sense? I mean, it it, it totally makes sense. It helps to have a banner to, to stick in the ground for anything that you're doing just to, you know, if, if someone went to a show and liked the band that they saw and there was some way to convey to them, Hey, there's a group of people involved in this and they do other stuff too. Maybe you'd like that. That obviously is a, a great way to foster more connection to music. That sort of thing is just one more way of putting a chink in the armor at cutting through the noise in the world of music. Yeah, that is definitely a massive challenge. I found I'd get overwhelmed by it sometimes, but I didn't even put up a very big fight. So I don't have a lot of room to talk. It's an overwhelming thing. <laughs> There's a lot of noise in the music world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the catch 22 of the lowered barrier to entry because now anyone and everyone who wants to make music can make music. But then if you're trying to support yourself financially off music, you have to cut through that noise. Mm -hmm. So speaking of financially supporting yourselves, I did some exploring on the website for corporate Panda records. And Mm -hmm. I found that as sort of your mission, you say that we work with artists to help them become financially independent career musicians. And I loved this because I feel like the financially independent part is not talked about often enough and it's something that I spent over a decade trying to figure out okay how how do you achieve that how do you make that happen so mm-hmm. what do you consider to be some of the biggest obstacles for an artist trying to achieve that at this point in time well I think those obstacles will make themselves very clear to anyone who attempts to make a living playing music uh, <laughs> um, it's I don't know. I mean, cutting, if, if one of the goals is to make your money via putting your your music onto the internet, the, the biggest thing by, by a mile is obviously that thing we were talking about a second ago of cutting through the noise. You have to find a way to find your own audience on the internet. And that's a very hard thing to do but the internet is full of people and it's, it is possible. So, you know, all the ways of trying to find ways to make that happen. That would be, that is always the biggest challenge with that. Of course, there are other ways to make money with music. It's not just 
this nebulous. Yeah, I put my music on DistroKid and uh, put some stuff on SubmitHub, tried to get some blogs to talk about it. <laughs> That's, you know, that is a path to success. And there's lots and lots of people who've done it. But there are many other ways of making music. The most obvious one, of course, being playing live shows. Mm -hmm. And everyone involved in Corporate Panda Records, one way or another, has spent time in bands that were financially independent. Um, the three of us all found ourselves in that situation in very different ways. So we have a pretty good set of experiences to know how to turn that part of music into, hey, you're making money, you're playing shows on the road, you're, you got to budget stuff X, Y, Z way. That way we all understand real well and we can, we know how to help other people get that. So that's a, that's a nice part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Definitely having expertise to tap into makes a big difference. Um, I, in the past couple of years, I've noticed that there are more and more ways to make money off music that I notice and I find them almost by accident just because I like pay attention to music things. And then I see, oh, there's this new company that's helping musicians do this or that. And so part of what I'm noticing is challenging for myself is there's existing obstacles to creating financial independence that you're aware of, but then as tech evolves and as the music industry continues to evolve, you know, obstacles that I was aware of five years ago or 10 years ago are either changed as well or not as big of a problem anymore. And then there's the occasional new obstacle that comes up. So I, I find that a challenge to figure out how you can make money in a way that's helpful as a musician. Yeah. People, it, it's easy to get frustrated by, you know, the constantly shifting landscape and there's like, there's no proven method ever. It's constantly changing. Um, like, so these days the, the main thing is getting on playlists if you want to get streaming money. And so, mm. you know, all of the, the things that you have to do to know how to, get on playlists, but which by the way, I'm no expert on, I don't want to act like I'm the master of knowing how to get on a playlist. <laughs> it's as much of a mystery to me as it is anyone else other than, Oh yeah, you should probably get to know people who make playlists. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's a, that's a really big way. And I know people who have a lot of success with it, but it's like, ah, oh, crap. If I would have known this a couple of years ago, maybe I would have spent more time with it it's it's you can get lost in the frustration that like we live in this dystopian hellscape of no one knows what to do. And Oh my God, if I only knew what to do, maybe I can make this work. I, I've always thought that that's a flawed way of thinking about it. Even with like imagining the, you know, the people who was like, Oh man, if I had been around before Napster and all that stuff happened, it would have been so much easier. I could have like, made money just by selling records. Holy crap. How great would that be? Mm -hmm. You're forgetting there was a whole landscape of different stuff you had to deal with back then. Like you had to, you would have had to deal with 
like payola radio stations and all that stuff. And you know, they're, they had a whole different set of problems. There's no sense in getting frustrated that the, the modern landscape is very, very difficult to navigate because it's just sort of always been that way. And that's just part of the deal with music is that it's always going to be kind of hard to find where the avenues are and just get getting used to it. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. As someone who helps artists with your label, how much do you consider the label responsible for helping the artist navigate the evolving opportunities? In, in our case, in, in particular, we're still a pretty new endeavor. We've, we've just relatively recently put this umbrella logo onto it, but far and away, the way that we understand best to help people get on it is the whole world of playing live shows and going on tour and how can you do that and go on a tour and not lose your ass right away? <laughs> Because there's a lot of ways to lose your whole ass right the fuck away. Um, Care to share an example? uh, Sure. I mean, it's all, it's, in my eyes, it's all just like doing the, the boring type A type stuff. Like, hey, did you budget out gas? You can know what gas mileage your vehicle gets. You can tell how many miles are between all these cities. You can make an estimate on how much gas is going to be beforehand. Um, you can have a rough idea of how much money you're going to make in merch at all these shows, whether it's from like pre-sale ticket information to that kind of show or, you know, whatever other way you have to estimate how many people are going to be at a thing. You got a way to, you can figure that out. Add that in with like all of the guarantees you get beforehand. And you can get like a number that says, either yes, for sure. Everyone's going to walk away with X amount of money or, Hey, we really have to push it. Cause if we don't make 80 bucks a night in merch, we're this, we're not even going to pay for gas. And like you can find these things out beforehand, or at least you can get really good estimates. And just like having that security of knowledge of this tour is going to be worth it or holy crap, this tour is not going to be worth it. That can help steer you in directions that make it the the first of those two options way more often. That's definitely a skill that comes with practice, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it took a lot of the, the, the three of us schlepping out a lot of shows. Uh, all three of us have been touring and playing shows our whole lives, so... In, in different kind of bands and different kind of tour situations too. So we've, we've put that info together and it's, it's not as mysterious as you'd, as you'd think, mm-hmm. um, but it's still stuff you got to think about. <laughs> yeah. It's not just all art and jam sessions all the time. A little, a little bit of that too though. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine a good, good percentage of the time. Well, you know, so I kind of distracted you. I'm sorry about 
your vision for the label and how you'd like to help artists succeed. So touring is part of that, but I guess what I'm trying to get to is how do you know as an artist when you really need a label's help now that it's so easy to do so many things yourself? It, it, that's, a, that's a complicated question and the answer is different for everyone. I would say most often the reason that you would need a label like the kind of situation that we have is the the notion of like you got to make recordings and that's always sort of been the case record labels in the past have sort of lumped that in with like the whole weird world of record advances and making incredibly expensive records mm-hmm um, the way that we have our studio set up, we can make a pretty decent quality of record for not a huge amount of money because, you know, all of the the modern tools of music making, we have those here and we know how to use them. We definitely have a, a step above on expertise in that area. And you got to have good recordings. Mm-hmm. So helping artists get recordings that they can really be proud of is a huge thing. And that is something that I know for a fact that we can do. And then we then have the knowledge of how to take that recording and put it out into the world and uh, let it grow. I can see how having help promoting it after you get that great quality recording would help make the whole endeavor feel more successful. Yeah, it, there's there's nothing like having a record that you're you're proud to show people and proud to sell. Equivalently, there's nothing worse than the feeling of you just played a great live show, you killed it, and you know your recordings kind of suck. And <laughs> now there's a line at the merch table of people wanting to buy records and like, sure, I'm for sure going to take your money when you want to buy these records. But there's like that horrible sinking feeling of knowing, ah, my recordings could have been better and now these people are going to take it home and listen to it. And, you know, maybe the connection that they felt to this show is going to fade a little bit because the record wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a hard feeling. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to touring and playing live as much as possible, I guess, is there a threshold that you cross where you know, okay, I'm ready to tour or I have to tour or. Uh, I think all musicians should tour in some way, shape or form. And there, there isn't some sort of like lower threshold tour can be, you play over the course of four days, you play two bar and grills where they pay you 300 bucks to play two hours of music. You got to bring your own PA setup. You post up in the corner and you play and you know, you just made 600 bucks over the course of a couple of days. Boom. You making, making the world go around all of a sudden. Um, that can be a tour. Obviously like you want to scale up from playing places like that. But for people wondering like, oh my God, how do I 
crack into this world. There's, I know there's somewhere along this road at the bright and shining end, there's tour buses and theater shows. And how does that even happen? The, the answer is of course, you just got to play shows and the easiest shows to find are those kind of shows and building it up from there is how you start climbing the ladder of tours and shows. Yeah. You just got to keep that consistent momentum going. Mm -hmm. So when you're starting at the tour, lower levels of effort, are there times where it's not very profitable, but you get good exposure out of it? There is always uh, a balancing act that you're playing. It, it can be very obvious at the beginning stages of touring of, am I going to play this show that guarantees me 500 bucks, but it's at a brewery and I know that no one is really going to care. Or do I play a show at cool club number 69 in the hip city with buzzy band that I'm for sure not going to make any money at unless I sell some merch or something. Um, that is a very constant balancing act. In, in my experience, the best way to navigate that is with the concept of the anchor show. The anchor show is, it, it's something that you usually book pretty far in advance. Maybe it's a college show. Maybe it's a freaking wedding. Maybe it's, who knows, but it's going to be something that probably doesn't have great exposure, but does have great money. And this one show is like, I mean, if you look for it, you can find shows that will guarantee you, by the way, if, if you don't know the guarantee for a show is the amount of money that they're for sure supposed to give you no matter what, regardless of ticket sales. It's like if you play a show with a $200 guarantee, that means no matter what, at the end of the night, they're handing you 200 bucks, even if no one shows up and you suck. Yeah. Although, uh, don't suck. <laughs> so if you look for it, there are $1,000 guarantee type shows out there. Often they're at colleges, often they're at breweries. You know, people pay that amount of money for weddings. So if you, if you find one of those shows, it's like, okay, this is definitely going to pay for gas of, for two weeks of driving around in a minivan. Then you take it from there and you find, you know, try and make the anchor dates on not great nights of the week if you can, Wednesdays or something. Mm. So then on the good nights of the week, you can go and try and find shows at actual venues with other bands who are you know, wheeling and dealing and trying to make it happen. And then you put together shows on those nights of the week where you are going to get in front of people who are going to care. And then those kind of shows you often sell a lot of merch at. And there's, you know, that's not to say that you're not going to make any money at those shows, but the balancing act of, we know for sure we're getting this amount of money from the anchor date. Let's build a tour around that so that we know there's going to be a safety net and we're not going to be wasting our time. Mm -hmm. But that is a, a very, very 
solid strategy at starting early tours. Yeah, that sounds like a plan that I would love to just go and duplicate for myself. Yeah, it, I mean, it really does work. That's how I got my start. Um, that is how the other two guys got their start too. And then we, the three of us branched out and the, the two other corporate Panda Records guys and then the three of us branched out into different ways from there. But the start is usually pretty much that. Yeah. I, I love also how you frame it as you have the anchor show and that's where you make the money. And then for the shows where you have little to no guaranteed income, you really focus on finding the maximum audience opportunity, I guess is the word, rather than just taking a gig that doesn't pay a lot because, you know, fingers crossed, there's going to be someone in this room that it will resonate with. So I feel like that's something that I haven't heard talked about in such explicit terms before, you know, everyone's like, Oh, sometimes you got to play some crappy gigs where you don't make a lot of money. And that's just part of paying your dues. But if you can be strategic about which gigs you play that don't really pay you, but they give you great exposure, then it still feels worth it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to play a show primarily for exposure, you got to learn how to wring that sponge of exposure that was a weird way to put it. And I feel gross all of a sudden. Um, well, it, it, it's almost accurate though, because once you get that exposure and that leverage, how do you make the most of it? Yeah. I mean, have totally killer merch for sale. Cause someone's going to, well, number, 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 the fuck one is <laughs> play a really, really good show. Yeah that's that is the the wellspring that everything else comes from and it cannot be understated and like going into a show is like oh i'm not making money there's all this stuff if you have that attitude going into a show people can smell that shit from a mile away and they're not gonna like no one wants to watch some you know someone bemoaning the fact that there's no people at this show while they're at the show so like step one, kill it at all shows always. Uh, but the other stuff, having really good merch, like when you're at those shows where you know you're not making money, don't like fight the urge to crawl off into a green room if there's a green room or into a corner and stay with your phone. You got to go, like, go talk to people at those shows. And that is a, a terrifying thing for I mean anyone talking to strangers at venues oh god <laughs> but you got to do it and so just resign yourself to a life of talking to strangers i i think it's fun i mean and at some so, point you get better and so it just becomes more fun yeah you, you get better at it but doing that keeping good relations with the venue making sure that whoever was the promoter or the person in charge of the venue ends the night with positive impression of you mm. so when it's time to play there again they remember oh yeah that band they were they were nice they were good they were whatever dings up in their head make sure mm -hmm. that's a positive thing that's so important too i can see how if you went to a show 
with the attitude of, eh, I'm not going to get much money. I'm just going to play it and then call it done. Yeah. You, ain't nothing. The promoter probably picks up on that too. Oh yeah. But nothing good is going to come out of a show if you walk into it with that kind of attitude. That's actually part of why I decided to stop pursuing a career as a performing recording musician, not because I would show up to gigs with that attitude, but because I, in my experience performing and then seeing other live shows, I noticed how the best performers delivered an amazing show every single time. And I love performing. I love putting on a great show, but the amount of practice into not just playing your songs, but performing, engaging the audience, doing something that enables you to really make a connection with them. I wasn't as excited as I needed to be about doing that work to the point where I could deliver an amazing show every single time because the audience deserves nothing less. So I decided to not pursue that. But if you're going to keep going, you need to. Those things that, like the things that you do in your head to keep yourself positive, you got to think about it that way, or just like keep yourself delivering good shows, regardless of whatever else is going on. Those are the kind of things that you can like, you can break down you can have strategies and you can, you can prepare yourself to know how to do that kind of thing. It's not just like some sort of mysterious, Oh, I got to do good. (laughs) You can, these are the kind you can think about this stuff and, and prepare yourself and feel comfortable that you're going to do it no matter what different people have different ways of doing that. Obviously experience is huge. And just like knowing a general idea of how to react to unforeseen circumstances is a good way. But a guy I know who was in a a very successful band told me that his way of dealing with this and the, the ways of like having a show become annoying change as you scale up and start playing bigger crowds all the time, but that like it can still be annoying in lots of ways. His way of dealing with it was play the best show you can for the other people on stage. Like Uh while, while you're fucking drummer while you're a guitar player, while you're a bass player. And if you're playing at the level where you're amazing, the other other people who are on stage with you, uh, like obviously that's going to inspire them to play better too. And Mm -hmm. then that creates this shield between you and all of the bullshit that can make a show annoying to play. That's a great strategy. Yeah. When, when he, he told me that that's how he thought about it that it very quickly became a thing that floats in my mind that pretty much all the shows I play. We've made it about halfway through the show and we're going to have a quick pause. Ads are irritating distractions, so they'll never be a part of the Musicians Can Thrive podcast. There are three things you can do that would be super helpful, though. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, subscribe. Share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Text it to them, email it, or post it on social media. Lastly, 
If you're feeling extra generous, leave a quick review on your favorite podcast platform. All you have to do is just put those stars. Don't have to add anything else unless you are feeling like you have something else to add. I appreciate your support. Back to the show. I know that you play with the Donovan Woods band. Are there other bands that you consistently play with or your own possibly? I play with a lot of groups. That's one of my main ways of both making money and keeping active and relevant in music world. Donovan is great. I love playing with Donovan. There are several local slash regional bands that are based in Nashville that I play with too. Um, there is a fun synth pop group called Woe Dakota that I play with. There is a sort of like has the spirit of Dolly Parton country badass woman that I play with. Her name is Kashina Sampson. She just came out with a record recently. She's great. There's a guy I've been playing some more shows with recently. His name is Daniel Donato. He is, how do I put this? He is a lord of guitar. He, it's really something else to watch him play. And so I played a couple of shows with him. I'm playing actually just next week. I'm going to play on a live in studio record with him. Ooh, that sounds um, fun. Oh, it's going to be real fun. What instrument are you playing? I, I'm going to do keyboard stuff. Uh, and if you can imagine in your mind's eye, like some band in say from the seventies and there's a keyboard player who has like a, a cube of keyboards around him, just like a fortress of all <laughs> sorts of crazy stuff. That's what I'm marching into that recording studio with. You are going to be prepared. Oh my God. Oof, I'm going to be in my, in my full wizard status <laughs> those days. So you'll be playing with a Lord of Guitar and you'll have your keyboard wizard status on a great yeah. live record. Yeah, what a, what a time to be alive. Seriously. <laughs> it, it's going to be fun. And so, you know, there's also lots of random one-off shows. Um, something that happens a lot in Nashville that I enjoy immensely is these nights where there's like some sort of event happening and there's a house band. And just because of the nature of the events, there's like a different singer for every song. Um, being in the house band for things like that is so much fun. It's, it's often a lot of work. It's like something where, Hey, the show is pretty soon. You got to learn 33 songs. Is it like, Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, the, I did one recently that was, it was during Americana Fest in Nashville and it was a tribute to the music of the Carpenters, uh, which was, I was only like peripherally familiar with the Carpenters music before this show. Um, like there's the, the when birds suddenly appear song that I knew and like maybe there was some vague awareness of them, but getting to dive into their music, um, it was so much fun and like just being in that sort of setting where there's like the constant renewal of every song. There's a new singer and a new vibe. It was just a really fun thing. Uh, and there's another one I'm playing on uh, 
the show I'm playing on New Year's Eve, we're doing the music of the 2000s. It's a Y2K madness New Year's <laughs> Eve show. So it's like, literally, we're playing Britney Spears songs and we're playing Fall Out Boy songs and we're playing August Donna songs. And <laughs> let me tell you what, it's if you've never actually sat down and thought about how would I play a Britney Spears song if I had to play a Britney Spears song? On an actual instrument. Yeah, it's like, how do it? <laughs> I will, it's like I'm the keyboard guy so it's time to figure out how to translate that sound into what note do I play in what <laughs> measures it's a really fun game I can imagine that is a very satisfying challenge to work through Ooh, it's so much fun and it gives you a, a huge amount of insight into how the songs are actually made in the first place mm-hmm. so the producer brain is ticking when I'm listening to the stuff and breaking it down and trying to hear how the individual elements work. I didn't even think about that, but I can see how that would help you by deconstructing those songs. Think about how you could make something different as a producer in a studio. You can, you can learn so much by putting yourself in the situation where you have to play these songs that people don't really think about playing Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Man, you're making me want to get my music Siri up to scratch so I could go do something like that. Get that guitar, start calling places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, will do. As a songwriter, one of my favorite things to do is to take a song I like and figure out what my take on it would sound like. Maybe it's the essence of the story or the way they repeat something to make a hook or just a melody. Without copying someone else's work, I take that inspiration and create a new song with that. So as a producer, I can appreciate how learning different kinds of music and expanding your exposure to different sounds would be like giving a painter a whole new palette of colors to work with. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had only used greens and blues because that was all you knew? And suddenly, you discovered red. So... You have these multiple streams of income that you juggle and to balance each other out. About what ratio of that does touring or playing live shows versus producing or writing sort of short backup songs for things? How does that break down if you're comfortable sharing that? That's fine. It's something that changes all the time, just depending on what the opportunity is are that are out there at that moment you got to stay nimble with you know obviously you got to take the opportunities that you get um these days it's roughly equal with my income of playing live shows and then getting money from these recording commercial projects and stuff in my start of becoming a musician and learning how this all worked. It was 100% shows. And there was a little while where it was pretty much 100% studio making jingles and that sort of thing. I like having it be balanced. I know that that is maybe not necessarily a long-term sustainable thing. Eventually it seems like you have to lean one way or the other. Really? But you don't have to, you don't, but you don't have to lean a hundred percent way one way or the other. Yeah. Just cause the, the higher, higher level stuff that you get, 
the more time you have to dedicate towards, you know, maintaining relationships and spending the time to actually do the thing. Mm, yeah. Obviously, if you were at the the highest level of being in a, a touring group, you're going to be on the road all the time and you're going to have to spend a lot of time preparing that stuff and make sure, making sure that it's like at the, the best level that you can possibly do. And so that takes away the amount of time that you could spend in a, a studio doing other whatever independent stuff and vice versa. If you're, if you're in the studio all day, you know, pounding emails, trying to find more places in cities that need a jingle or need a, of whatever thing that they need for music, music for an ad spot, music for their website, music for anything that, that takes a lot of time too. And if you're really cooking that, that can, excuse me, easily take up all your time. So at some point you got to sort of pick a side and go more with it, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't do the other side of that at all. Mm -hmm. It's not a totally mutually exclusive thing. And like I was saying, like one does inform the other, like playing these shows where if if you were being jaded about it, I could very easily look at this Y2K themed New Year's Eve night as, Oh crap. Like I'm playing in a glorified cover band. This sucks. (laughs) But that's, that's not the way I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the way of, you know, I'm playing this music that I would never in a million years play. Otherwise we're playing Lincoln park songs. I never thought that I would have to like play that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I loved Lincoln park when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, Just learning how that music ticks means that when I'm in the studio next time, maybe there's, that one trick that I remembered from that one song. And that's the answer to the problem of how do we make this, this recording pop? Mm-hmm. It all, it all feeds into itself. It sounds like half of, I guess the trick to keeping yourself going is the perspective that you approach the different opportunities with, like what you just said with that cover gig, it's a wonderful opportunity, but because it's not playing your own songs at your own headlining show, some people might easily dismiss it and not get out of it what they otherwise could. Yeah. I mean, attitude is everything. I definitely find that's something that, I've I've heard some people talk about, but I feel like if you're trying to find your way as a musician, it's not often talked about. Or perhaps your experience with that is different. It can be complicated in a lot of ways. You know, I'm I'm talking about all this stuff. Like I have a a wonderful, bright, cheery disposition into everything that I'm doing. And not all music is wonderful, bright, cheery disposition music. And so you can run into a lot of, you know, cognitive dissonance of you have these moments in your life that bring you to write sad songs and now you're on stage playing them and you got to be totally pumped about selling merch after the show. And Oh, I know it was so great. Right. Oh yeah. I'd love to play here again. Here's my song about how I want to die. <laughs> Uh, that's, that can be a, a a tricky thing to navigate, but there's a balance 
to be found in there. And like going in with the right attitude means that even when you're, you're in those situations of you're, you're pouring your heart out on stage, you can still have enough of a mind to know that like you can still foster the continuation of your music career. If you just look at things in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. That's going to be very helpful for someone listening to this. Yeah. At the end of the day, we can all be our own worst enemy or our own biggest advantage. Successful people do difficult things, even when they don't feel like it. I was at an event last summer when an incredible woman shared that philosophy on stage, and it's something I've reminded myself of every time I don't feel in the mood for doing something ever since. The beauty of treating your music and your career in the music world as your own small business is there are so many different kinds of work that can support your progress and help you build momentum. So if one day you have terrible writer's block or nothing sounds right when you play it, then shift to something else. Maybe research venues you'd like to play and find the contact info you need. Or plan out your social media posts for the week. Sometimes all it takes to go from nothing is working to, okay, I can do this and it will help is to just approach what you're working on from a different side than you usually would. And sometimes, you need to take some time to rest and regroup. That's important, too. One other thing that I've been thinking about in the past year is the line when someone becomes a professional musician. And I found that I had a lot of personal assumptions about what that meant. And then through conversations with musicians like yourself, a lot of those assumptions got sort of turned on their head. So for your personal career and perhaps just what you've experienced watching other musicians, what does being a professional musician mean to you? Uh, I don't even think that that distinction has any meaning. You're, you're a musician and you're doing it or you're not. Yeah. That seems to be the general consensus. Yeah. Like there's, I get what you're getting at behind the question of like, at what points are you saying, I'm going to, you know, I have all these abilities with music and it's time for me to, figure out how to exploit them in a way that lets me pay the bills and live my life. Mm -hmm. Like that's just that in my mind has nothing to do with the musician part. That's figuring out how to run a little business and, and keep your stuff going. You should, you should love playing the music just as much if you're finding ways to play a bar and grill and make 300 bucks or play a theater and sell out a thousand tickets or if you're, you know, hanging out with your buds and picking up a guitar and trying to make them laugh with a stupid lyric you just came up with <laughs> yeah. that like, that's the music and that's what everything stems from. So like, if you're doing music, fucking do it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would tell someone who's trying to find their way as a musician? 
it's very easy to be to become discouraged. Um, there are a lot of difficulties in a lot of different ways every step along the way. And if you if you let that stuff get to you, the the music is going to start to suffer. And as soon as the music suffers, then what are you even doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. And a, a big way, to, at least talking off the cuff here about this, but something that I know that I do that helps keep discouragement at bay is this like constant variety of stuff that I'm doing. There's always something fresh. I'm always, you know, playing with playing with all these different groups I'm playing with. There's always a different style. And so, you know, not, I would never keep myself stuck in one genre. I'm always learning a new instrument that has ways of helping in a lot of ways. Obviously, if you knew how to play a lot of instruments, that means you could play a lot of instruments. And if you could play a lot of instruments, maybe there's a gig that you could get that you wouldn't have been able to if you didn't know how to do whatever thing. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun thing. And that's something that you can do that has nothing to do with the world of putting yourself out into the world, like out into the world and playing shows and networking and all that stuff that's like learning an instrument is something very personal you can do it in your room at night when you're like oh i feel the world closing in what am i gonna do oh yeah i'm gonna sit down at my new pedal steel guitar and i'm gonna try and figure <laughs> out how to go from a minor three to a major six mm-hmm. so the variety yeah. of outlets helps to balance everything out absolutely i definitely need to learn another instrument do it it's it's (laughs) it's really fun it i i think in the the whole thing with learning new instruments people don't give it enough credit that learning a new instrument isn't the same as like relearning how to play music if you know how to play music then it's not like it felt when you were in sixth grade and you were holding a tuba up to your mouth for the first time it's like oh what do i do oh no (laughs) yeah yeah, like once you once you know how music works in your own mind, and there's lots of different ways to think about it, and they're all valid if they get to to where you have to be. Like that that monster is gone, and now it's just like, okay, when I'm holding my flute, how do I play a G? Oh, it's like this. How do I play an F? Oh, it's like this. Mm-hmm. And and you can find yourself plugging your existing knowledge of music into that new instrument. And it goes much faster than you think. Well, now I really have absolutely no reason to put it off any longer. Yep, you do have to go on the Craigslist and buy a flute right now. <laughs> Let's start with a keyboard. <laughs> okay, okay, maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing about your experiences. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on about having a positive attitude and other such miserable things <laughs> no problem one last thing before we go mm-hmm. where can listeners find you and your music online they can find me and my music all over the place online i have a personal band camp that i post unusual instrumental things that i come up with it is daniel pingray.bandcamp.com that's daniel p-i-n-g-r-e-y.bandcamp.com I just posted a new short EP on there 
literally, literally just yesterday. So there's lots of fun stuff there. If you go on to any major streaming service, Corporate Panda Records just released a self-titled debut record by a band called Sick Horse, all one word, Sick Horse. That was made and produced in our studio. I'm playing all over it. It's a fun little adventure of an album. I, I had a lot of fun making it and I'm very proud of how it all came out. If you need to listen to one song, listen to the song Billy Jean, which is track two. You know the time. She told me stories about her wife. I don't know how she could ease my cloudy mind with a few choice words. When she got drunk, she had a crooked little smile. But the, I think the whole album is a fun little thing. Yeah, definitely. Josephine was my lover for a while. She taught me things about myself. Really did she smile. She led a simple life in the world. Today is just too much technology in my ruined mind. She helped me sleep through troubled times. Billy Jean, if you ever see me falling, pick me up, dust me off, make sure my head. Those are some good ways to hear music that I have made and put on the internet. <laughs> Do you care about social media at all? Oh, so deeply. <laughs> Feverant passion. Uh, if you wish to follow me, I am my main social media account that I use most often is my Instagram. It is at giant xylophone all one word no underscores giant x-y-l-o-p-h-o-n-e i think that's how you spell xylophone that sounds about uh, right yeah it's however xylophone supposed to be spelled do it that way <laughs> um i am always posting about my shenanigans i'm there i also have a twitter account that is also at giant xylophone i also have a facebook that i don't use anymore because it's 2019 <laughs> And there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Please check the show notes for links to find Daniel's music, social media, and links to the other songs and bands we talked about in this episode. One last thing before you go today. There are techniques, strategies, and routines that work best for different people. With that in mind... I encourage you to consider this. Is having the ability to give yourself a banner to gather people around something that you need to prioritize as you work to develop an audience for your music? If it is, do you know a couple of other people who could help you with this in a collaborative way? Maybe you're a bomb guitarist, but you could use some help planning out some social media promotion. And your friend's band needs help with it too. Let's say you have a friend who could help you with photography at your shows, and then there's someone who's a talented producer. Whatever that combination is, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to seek out people that you can align yourself with. Building that kind of support network can help when you start to feel discouraged or overwhelmed, and it helps you spread the ripple effect even farther each time you gain a new fan.